Howdy. Welcome to the 127 on the Mic podcast. This sermon was recorded by our college pastor, John Davison, as we walk through our sex and dating series for 2024. We hope you enjoy. Okay, good evening. Hey, let's go. When, when I was in college, this is, this is in, when the year started with one. I'll let you know that, okay? Way back then, all right? Grandma, that's a terrible insult. <laughs> Grandma, when I was in college, this is how we played music. It was not on a thing called Spotify or Apple Music or whatever thing that you use. We would get in our vehicle and we would take these round pieces of metal called compact discs and you would put them in a player that sucked them into the dashboard of your vehicle and then spun them really fast and would read them with lasers and would play the music. They would hold 12 to 20 songs depending on how you illegally downloaded them and put them onto the compact disc. And you would drive around, you had the visor, right, with the, the little slots that held all of your CDs and. That's, that's how we did that. Or you had this thing called the radio. Anybody still like listen to the radio? Is that your go-to? There's a lot of old people in the room still too. So there was this guy on the radio. He was from the Dallas area. He was from Irving, and it was Kid Craddock in the morning. All right, some of you are still Kid Craddock fans. I think he died in 2013, and it's amazing that his legacy continues. He had really cool uh, organizations working with kids. He had cancer, and then he died of like a heart issue. This guy, like, had it, it was bad. But uh, his legacy has lasted a long time. And I saw this article the other day that they had produced that was uh, basically talking about dating. And they went and they asked people their quotes on dating except they, the people that they asked were between the ages of six and 10. And so the, the radio show gathered this from Lynette, age eight. Dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Like little little theologian, Lynette is. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> Sorry, she started it right. I mean, ladies... Lynette's right, all right? Just, just give us time. Eventually, we'll get there. Alan, age 10, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, like, if you like sports, then she should like it that you like sports. And she should keep the chips and dip coming. Yeah. Yeah, Lee, Alan, Alan, Alan has like somebody at home that's like, woman, <laughs> sandwich. I, like, I, I used to get myself in trouble because anybody that Jesus interacted with in the Bible, please don't, use, maybe you're going to use this and I'm going to get in trouble, but anybody that Jesus interacted with in the Bible that he cared for, he called woman. And so like his mom is like, woman? <laughs> and I don't think that was his tone at all, but... Maybe. Alan's been hanging out with that. So, Dave, age eight. Love will find you, even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but girls keep finding me. This dude, this dude's eight years old and just living life. Some of you are like, yeah. Caleb. <laughs> Golly. All right, it's a dangerous name right here. Anybody with the name Howard? All right, this is dangerous. The rules go like this. <laughs> Age eight, Howard's dropping rules on us. The rules go like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry her and have kids with her. 
It's the right thing to do. Yeah. That's right, Howard. Howard knows. If you kiss someone, you just, you just marry them and make babies. All right. Jim, I don't know what 10-year-old's named Jim, like your parents messed you up. <laughs> I can't. I, but yeah, he's not 10, all right? He's in his 40s. Um, he acts 10, that's true. So he does sometimes, but that's why we love him. Okay, you, Jim says, you should never kiss a girl unless you have enough bucks to buy her a big ring and her own VCR. <laughs> Jim, Jim was born old. And he, he said VCR. For those, some of you don't know what that is. It's those big tapes that movies used to come on. Again, you're like, what's a VCR? It's like pre-DVD, way back in the day. Old, yes, Jim is old. But listen, you should have enough bucks to buy her a big ring and her own VCR because she'll want to have videos of that wedding. Okay, Jim. Brian. Brian is seven. And Brian says, it isn't always how you look. Look at me. I'm handsome like anything, and I haven't got anybody to marry yet. Well, well played, Brian. Also, bro, you're seven. And so, and then, and then my dude Tom, my pre-kindergarten Tom, he said, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. Which, <laughs> some, of you, some, of you, <laughs> some of you girls are like, I know Tom. He's a sophomore in college and he still hasn't finished kindergarten yet. And so, this, this brings up this point though. Tom brings up a really interesting point. Because Tom says, when I'm done with kindergarten, I'm gonna find me a wife. Which, which brings the question that some of you have asked. Does God control who you marry? Or... Or the bigger question, I think, that connects to that, do you have a soulmate out there? Has God made one person for you? Now, now I need you to hear me, because this is really complicated. The answer to that question is no. No. Because here's the problem. We're, we're just full, the entire earth is full of a bunch of sinners. And if God only made one person for you, somebody already messed it up. And it's echoed all throughout time, and the dominoes have fallen, and your person, who knows where they're at, that would be a dangerous game to play in a world full of sinners. And, and so I, I want you to hear that. The, the answer to, is there a soulmate for you? No, you, you do not have one of those. In fact, in the Christian world, I think this is a dangerous idea that probably drives divorce more than anything. Because we'll, we'll be counseling with somebody, and they go, I married the wrong person. Maybe. But here's the thing that I want you to hear. God hates divorce. This is even about the message tonight. God hates divorce. I know that really clearly. And God makes beauty out of ashes all the time. And so if you end up, this is future thinking or something maybe you've walked through with parents or close family friends or anything like that, you end up with somebody that, that you're in a counseling session and they go, that's not my soulmate. I messed up the marriage side of it. And I want to just loudly scream, God wants to redeem that for his glory and you right now are functioning as the wrong person, you're not loving the way that God has called you to love, and our God hates divorce, and yes, there are some outs for divorce, and yes, we will wisely counsel you through that. There are some times where we go, hey, you need to run from him, you need to run from her. 
But if your excuse for divorce is just like, I didn't find my soulmate, it's a terrible excuse. Because here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I think you probably have it memorized. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your what? Own understanding. In all your ways, know him, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And so your heart that's longing for a soulmate is kind of dangerous because you just finished singing this song. What does your soul long even faint for? For all of your days? Is it, is it God or is it that person? Like the quick answer to your soulmate is it's just Jesus. And if he would become your soulmate and he would satisfy the longings of your heart, then whoever joins you on that journey is just a bonus. And so grab a hold of that as we, as we think about dating, as we think about this idea. And, and this is important because I do believe, here, here's kind of your out, you can in your disobedience, you can when you're outside of fellowship with God, when you are outside of community in the church, when you're not engaging well with his word through prayer, you can marry somebody that God didn't desire for you to marry, but that doesn't mean that he's not still in control. And that doesn't mean that he still doesn't want to redeem. It doesn't mean that you've wrecked God's plans for your life. In fact, he often will, will take those moments and use them for incredibly beautiful things where he takes two imperfect people and through continual sanctification brings about a, a beautiful reflection of the gospel. And that happens in difficult and that happens in really beautiful. Your, your dating relationship all the way up to marriage could be really smooth. And you're like, we honored the Lord and we did all these things. You're still two imperfect people that the Lord brings together. Or you could get beyond the point of marriage and go, I think I've married the wrong person. You're still two imperfect people that God wants to redeem and bring together. Okay, so in saying that, I wanna make your life a little bit easier because I don't wanna give you an out. In, in our marriage, in our dating all the way up through marriage, one of my mentors, as he was counseling us through premarital, said, this is what I need you to do for the rest of your life. Make divorce a cuss word, a vile cuss word in your house. Take it off of the table. It's never an option. And so I don't think that that would ever be an option for my wife and I, but I don't pretend to be foolish in that way. It's just something that we never threaten each other with. It's something that is not even in our brains to think about because this is how our God feels about it. And so I, I don't play the scenarios of like, well, what if she did this? Or what if she did this? Would you divorce her then? That's not a game that I play. I play the Ephesians 5 game where I'm called to build her up by the washing of the word through me into her. And in that, she honors me with her life and her choices and, and how she leads and how she loves. And then I don't have to worry about it anymore. I just do what I'm called to do. And so th this is the, the spot. But why is it important for us to maybe hear this and understand that God is calling you to not rely on your own heart, not lean on your own understanding, trust him with said heart, and then he's gonna make your path straight. Because if you don't have a soulmate, that means you have a decision to make. All right, let's just, let's just play the game. And I'll, I'll make you raise your hands. How many of you in here wanna, wanna get married one day? Match.com. Um, <laughs> in like one room right here, we just did it. It's, it's almost all of you. Now, I'm, I know that there are people in this room that say, hey, that's, that may not be me. This is kind of what God is calling me to. And I love that. Paul loves that. I think the Bible loves that. Just spend your life pursuing Jesus and, and making a mess for the gospel all around the world. Please do that. But for the rest of you that raised your hand, you have a decision to make. And it's a really important decision. We talked about it last week. Outside of following Jesus, this is the most important decision you're, you're gonna make because this is gonna be the rest of your life. This is gonna be your family. And part of the free will that God has given you is that you get to have the choice on who you say I do to. And so I was going through scripture and I'm like, where's a good place that kind of 
gives us a roadmap maybe on what it looks like to find that person, to, to recognize that we are dating Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And so this is, the, this is what we find really in Proverbs chapter 31. When I said that verse, a lot of you went, well, this is about girls. Well, well here's, here's the roadmap. This is the king's mom is speaking and, and she's trying to help him understand what type of man that he should be and what type of woman that he should be chasing after. And it's really important to clarify this um, because there's this, this phase in dating scientifically that is called the phase of infatuation. Hmm, the phase of infatuation. And it's basically described like this. You have the heart eyes. It's you see him or her through those rose-colored glasses, right? Everything, everything seems like great. There are no flaws. You walk up to your friends, you're like, I've met the boy and he is perfect. And I want to get in the, into the, like, the discussion right then and go, take me to him because I want to know this Jesus. <laughs> because outside of Jesus, there is no one perfect, right? And so if you have friends that are close to you and you're like, I met the perfect boy, and you're like, he's a sinner, deserving of death and hell in that order. Be careful. <laughs> That would be like that fire and brimstone preacher that's like leading you in dating. But, but it's good to have that, okay? Because when I started looking at this, and I know some of you get into this, you're like, he's so perfect for me. And like three months later, I'm like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, I don't know. He abandoned me at the IHOP. Um, <laughs> like one, he took you to the IHOP? That's terrible. This, you're like, don't be mad at IHOP, Okay. I started looking at this infatuation phase, and scientifically, this phase lasts from 18 months to three years, where you see this person and their lack of flaws. You see them through these rose-colored glasses, and here's the challenge with that. If you're a year and a half, two years, three years into a relationship, and you still got these rose-colored glasses on, you know what this normally brings? Is that red flags blend in with everything else. When you're seeing things through these glasses, then the things that should rise up really clearly in you, these red flags, start to just blend with everything else because you just think that this person's perfect. And that's the danger of this phase. And so in order, now, now hear me, this phase isn't always bad. This phase I think the Lord can use to like, hey, here's your spouse, look at them, they're pretty. Um, but, but if you don't have this foundation to clearly see the things that God is calling you to, it makes this dangerous. And so Proverbs does a good job of just laying out a roadmap for us to follow or things to be looking for to find Mr. Right and to find Mrs. Right. So we're gonna talk to the girls first and what is the king's mom saying about the type of man that he should be before he enters into a marriage type relationship. We're just gonna start in verse one. The words of of King Lemuel, a pronouncement that his mother taught him. All right, the king is writing down his mother's teaching. What should I say, my son? What, son of my womb? What, son of my vows? Just repeats it, repeats it, repeats it. Why? Because she's going, hey, pay attention. Hey, son, consider your path toward romance. Consider your path towards marriage. And so when we think about dating, it's this question. What, or, or do you know what you're doing? Do you have what we talked about last week? Do you have a, a destination in mind? And if it's marriage, you all raised your hands, then the right person, finding the right person is really important because what? Dating is just an interview process for who you're gonna marry, right? Now, now I'm of the team 
Now, I know that there's varying opinions in this, and we talked about it on the podcast this week, if you listen to it. Godly wisdom's pretty wide, and there's people that have great experience in this on both sides. I'm on the team that like, you should know the person to the point that before you go on the first date, you would be okay marrying them. And, and so, what does that interview process look like? It looks like you know them in community. And, and we'll, we'll scratch the surface of this a little bit, but either way that you lean on this, know that dating leads to marriage and you have to have high standards getting there because you can't marry Mr. Right and you can't marry Mrs. Right if you're dating Mr. Wrong or Mrs. Wrong. And so why not put Mr. and Mrs. Right on the table before you even start dating by knowing exactly what you're looking for? And these are pretty generic and I know dating's a challenge for us sometimes. I wanna make this simple. I wanna make this as simple as I can. We're gonna land in a pretty simple space, and a lot of these are going to be what you're probably gonna look at and go, man, that's really true, but it's also really simple. But the most simple things are often the hardest to follow, right? Eat vegetables. <laughs> a french fry's good. <laughs> Potato vegetable, right? Um, that's just the world that we live in. The simple is sometimes difficult to follow. So, so what does this person look like? Not complicated, simple. Ladies, here we go. The first one, starting in verse three. Don't spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire beer. What is she saying here? Does he practice self-control? Does he practice self-control? And, and what he's highlighting here is really two things. What she's highlighting here is two things that destroy people. Lust and drunkenness. Lust and drunkenness. These are two things that you can really clearly identify in somebody's life that highlight a lack of self-control. If they can't control these two areas, then they're probably struggling in other areas. This is what my mom died from was drunkenness. And, and I remember, some of you have heard this story. I'm seven years old. I'm in an Oldsmobile. I'm going up I-35, going up through Oklahoma City. I can just remember it clearly. It's glorious. We were going to Springfield, Missouri to visit my grandma. My mom had this practice of driving a vehicle and drinking a beer. It was Coors Light in a bottle all the time. And she started at breakfast and she ended at dinner and she woke up and just repeated that thing all the time. We are on the interstate and she says, roll down your window. I don't even think it, I mean, back then it was legal for a seven-year-old to be in the front seat. Now it's not even a thing, but I'm in the front seat and the window is the thing that you did this on, you know, not the button. Yeah, I was rolling it down. And my mom, driving, drinking, tells me to roll down the window, grabs that Coors Light bottle and goes to throw it out the window that way towards like the, the, that side of the median. I mean, she was a good citizen, didn't want to throw it in the other side into traffic. So she's gonna send it over there. But she's also, this is about three o'clock in the afternoon, so she's a few into this day. And where does she hit? Right in the side of my head. Glass bottle just clank, hit me. And, and I, I've never blacked out, and that's kind of a dangerous thing for me to say, um, but I was really close. I was kind of spinning there, and I had that thought, like my drunk mom on the interstate just hit me in the head with a bottle, she's trying to kill me. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of ways that she could kill me through this story, and I didn't think that it was going to be hitting me in the head with a bottle. She picks it up and says, I'm sorry, duck. So I did. I like tornado position down and she flings it out the window. It was a smooth shot after that. She could not hear me. It wasn't that she was just drinking during the day. Understand the story. Like I, I like the humor of it. I, I love that the Lord rescued her from that. Like the story's beautiful when you get to the end of it. But there was a lack of self-control there that's unbelievable. Start drinking in the morning, terrible idea. Coors Light, terrible idea. 
breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that is your thing, terrible idea. Put your son in the front seat, probably a terrible idea, in a sketchy Oldsmobile, terrible idea. Drinking while you're doing it, terrible idea. Let's get on the interstate and go 70 miles an hour, bad idea. Hey, I finished this beer, I'm ready for my next one, but I gotta get rid of the evidence, I'm gonna throw it out the window. Sort of drunk, throwing stuff, bad idea. Hit your son in the head with a bottle, kind of recognize that you almost knocked him out, grab the bottle, tell him to duck, and then continue going. What is, what is this screaming? She has zero self-control. A lack of self-control in your life leads to a place of bondage. It leads to a place of sickness. And these things almost always lead to relationship problems. You're gonna have difficulty in all of your relationships. And so, so drunkenness, I think that's a pretty easy one for us to point at. It's a pretty easy one for us to, um, to connect with for a lot of you because you may have family members, you have a history of that that just echoes really loudly. I, I feel for you, I hurt for you in that. Um, you need to be prayerful on your knees for these people going on a rescue mission for their soul because, because often they're trying to satisfy something, some deep longing in their life that they can't find satisfaction for that only Jesus can meet. And so they're blurring their thoughts with some sort of drug in their mind that helps them get through life. And it, it more so probably applies pretty loudly to lust. See what she said in verse three. Don't spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings. The, the, the context of this, the language behind this is, is she saying, hey, king, don't waste your time on women that are gonna rob your strength. Don't waste your time on women that only want the physical. Don't, don't waste your time on somebody who is not going to build you up because, because physical relationships, purely physical relationships, almost always lead to destruction. This is why the enemy is winning this battle with many of you in this room and probably louder outside of this room with pornography because this is what he offers, a satisfaction that was only intended for marriage in a place that requires zero emotional energy from you and you can never get hurt by them. That's what it, that's what it seems. I have no relationship with this person that I'm watching on this screen. I get to be satisfied sexually in some way. And, and in that, you're like, everything is good. But this is leading to, because it's a purely physical relationship, it is leading to destruction of your soul and of your relationships. And hear me, like I wanna go after guys, but this is for guys and girls in this room. The reason that you have an addiction to porn is that you want the physical without the risk of hurting another person, but this is not how that works. It's not how this works. Hear me, this is a secular study, okay, put out by multiple universities across the country, and this is what they say. This is what pornography does to the mind. It significantly distorts attitudes and perceptions about the nature of sexual intercourse. Men who habitually look at pornography have a higher tolerance for abnormal sexual behaviors, sexual aggression, promiscuity, and even rape. In addition, men who begin to view women and even children as sex objects. They are commodities or instruments that can be used for their pleasure, not as people who have their own dignity. And you're like, I'm not hurting anybody. What's the effect on the body? Pornography is very addictive. The addictive aspect of pornography has a biological substrate, dopamine hormone release acting as one of the mechanisms for forming the transmission pathway to the pleasure centers of the brain. It's basically like you're rewiring your brain that it can only experience pleasure through this pathway. 
Also, the increased sexual permissiveness engendered by pornography increases the risk of contracting a sexually transmitted disease or of being an unwitting parent in an out-of-wedlock pregnancy. Basically, you'll sleep around. It's what it kind of develops because you've, you've started an addiction with something with no emotional connection and that echoes into like the real world for you. You just wanna remove the emotional. The effect on the heart. Pornography affects people's emotional lives. Married men who are involved in pornography feel less satisfied with their marital, marital sexual relations and less emotionally attached to their wives. Women married to men with pornography addiction report feelings of betrayal, mistrust, and anger. Pornographic use may lead to infidelity and even divorce. Adolescents who view pornography feel shame, diminished self-confidence, and sexual uncertainty. Just over and over, in the reports that I read, this is the common thread. Viewers of pornography assign increased importance to sexual relations without emotional involvement, and consequently, their spouses experience a decreased intimacy from their father. It removes the emotion, and, and this is the important thing, self-control needs emotion. And so does he have self-control or is he acting in a way that he's removed emotion from his habits? If a person, this is important, if a person is not willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of these things, drunkenness and lust, those are just too like easy to identify. And there's other things that you may be thinking about that, that need our self-control. But if a person's not willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of those things, then hear me, they are not worth the battle. Because if, if they can't, and this is gonna sound harsh, but if they can't lead themselves, you don't want that guy leading your family. It's not worth it. Does he have self-control? Now, now, this is probably not something, I know this is heavy, but this is probably not something that you're gonna experience in the early stages of dating. Ladies, you don't walk into this room and you're like, man, he's cute, and you go back to the coffee cup, and you're like, man, what's your major? Oh, engineering, cool. Uh, what's your porn habit? That, that's, a, that's a weird question, like right off the bat. It, it's not the thing that I'm, I'm telling you to go after and ask from somebody that you are maybe interested in dating. But when you think about that, you can look at his life and go, is he, does he have self-control? And here's a good measure that's not just going up and asking about their drunkenness and their lust habits. What does he or even she do when they're out with their friends? Do, do their actions reflect a godly character? Are they, do they, when they go to a party or when they go to some sort of gathering, are they connecting with girls in an ungodly way? And, and here's just like the duh statement. You're not gonna find a godly person in ungodly places doing ungodly things. You're not gonna find a godly person in ungodly places doing ungodly things. And the, the question that rises back up is, do they practice self-control? Do they have self-control? The second one, starting in verse five. Otherwise, he will drink, forget what was decreed, which was his own statement, this is the king. He will drink, forget what was decreed, and pervert justice for all the oppressed. Give beer to one who is dying and wine to one whose life is bitter. Let him drink so that he can forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. It's not a prescription to give alcohol to somebody who's struggling. She's actually speaking against that. When, when he gets to this point, he's gonna forget what was decreed and he's gonna go, hey, that person's struggling, alcohol, that's the solution. Hey, you're in poverty, drink some more. That's a good solution for you. 
this question that she's rising up is, is this man stable? And what do we mean by is he stable? Is he one that keeps his responsibilities? Does he remember his commitments? Does he remember the decree that he put before the people? Or does he think that the solution is like, hey, you're struggling, alcohol, just run after that. Because a lot of times, especially in this world, the comfort of your mind is found in mind-altering things. That's why addiction is so rampant. I'm struggling, and so I wanna put something into my body, drug or alcohol or some sort of addiction that's gonna make me think differently. And you want somebody, ladies, who is consistent, who is reliable, who is stable. And these are not sexy words. You're not scrolling through Instagram with your friend and be like, whoa, stop. That guy looks stable. I want to get with that consistency. Like, I, I, that's a weird, it's a weird thought. That's what we talked about, like elevating your, your ideals in dating, get beyond the blue eyes. But if you're like, man, I, just, I need to go after somebody who's just, who's just stable. But, but here's, here's the idea that I've learned. You really do want a boring marriage. This is why I will always go after I have to refrain myself a little bit because I want to say, I'm going to say, this is why I always go after you clowns that turn on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Because you, you, are, developing, you are developing an ideal that your marriage should be good for TV and you don't want a good for TV marriage. You just don't. You want somebody who is stable, who you can trust, who you don't have to fend through like 25 women to get his attention. This is not the play. You want somebody that you can go to in the highs and in the lows and not have to fish through the stuff that the world is selling to him and just be like, hey, are you stable? Are you somebody that I can trust? Are you somebody that when I'm struggling, I just come to you and you just hold me? And I can trust that you're standing on your two feet and you're making wise decisions and you're leading our family well. You don't need a good for TV marriage. You need a really boring marriage. And so the highs and the lows start to level out and you can survive the stuff that the world is throwing at you. Does he have stability? The next one, Proverbs 31, verse eight. Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Does he speak up for the weak? She's going, hey, as king, you can't be silent. You have to be compassionate in your rule and in your dating relationships, you are going to need that. How does he treat people that he, is, that he knows that he's gonna get nothing from? How, how does he treat people that he knows that he is going to get nothing from? And we skipped over the does he make wise decisions. It's basically just the thing that connects to is he stable? Is he sober-minded? Is he committed? If those two things come alive, does he have self-control? Does he have stability? Then he is going to make wise decisions. And then that goes into him speaking up for the weak. How does he serve those around him? We serve biblically expecting nothing in return. Why? Because Jesus modeled that and because Jesus has given you everything that you need. That's why we serve. Is this guy caring? Is he encouraging? Does he speak with kindness? Because what? His words reveal his heart. How does he treat other people? And raise that bar, ladies. Be around him enough to know how he speaks about and to people. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He is going to word vomit his character. 
Be around him enough to know that. And then lastly, verse nine, speak up, judge righteously and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. What, is his, what do his words reveal about his heart? Is it righteous? His words are gonna reveal that. Our, our love for God comes out in our words towards others. We talked about Pastor Jim earlier and I, I'm gonna give him this shout out. He's never gonna hear this unless you go and tell him. Um, one of the things that I admire most about him is when I get to spend time with, women's how, with him is how he talks to people. Out in the public, I've never met anybody in my life that goes out of their way to hear the story of other people, to engage with other people. And it can be at a gas station, like, hey, bro, we gotta go. It could be at a restaurant. He just makes friends with people by going, hey, how are you? Hey, tell me about your family. Hey, basically, like, I want you to know that I see you, and I want you to know that I wanna know about you, and I want you to know that I follow a God who also loves you, and so I want you to know that love maybe through me. He doesn't say all of those things, but he approaches them in that way. Do we speak to people that like they are valued? Do we speak to people like they are loved by God because you know that they are? Ephesians 4.29, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who are here, who here, who are near. And so does his words reveal, what does his words reveal about his heart? This is kind of your Mr. Right list. And you can see all of these things from a distance. Does he have self-control? Does he have stability? Does he make wise decisions? Does he speak up for the weak? And what do his words reveal about his heart? All right, guys, over to your side. Mrs. Wright, now guys, you should have made this list and be like, am I these things? Do, do I practice these things? Am I working towards these things? What guys do I know that do these things well? I wanna be their best friend so that I can learn to do them better. Ladies, apply the same thing to this. Here's Mrs. Wright, we're gonna go after it. Proverbs 31.10. Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels, which also means that she's rare. Ladies, you got work to do. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will, lack, he will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. So the, the, the king's mom says, okay, now let's look at Mrs. Wright. And one of the things that needs to rise up for Mrs. Wright, guys, is she your friend? Is she your friend? Remember, we've talked about this before. We always date for character and clarity over chemistry. There are a lot of things that you're gonna gain in a dating relationship. There's a lot of them. Just look at marriage pictures. The husband goes from like this skinny dude looking, looking fly up there in about a year. He's kind of chunky, <laughs> moving a little bit slower. You're gonna gain weight from marriage, 100%. You're gonna gain gray hair from marriage. It's gonna happen. You're gonna, you're gonna gain maybe uh, debt from marriage. I don't know. Depends on who you married. But I think the thing that rises up most importantly that you're gonna gain from marriage is what? A best friend. The most important thing that you gain from marriage is a best friend. And so is your connection to the person that you're dating deeper than attraction? Is your connection deeper than attraction? Do you like the idea of the person more than the actual person? This is important because sometimes we just date for like this thing that fits in a box but do you go after that person because of their character, because you want clarity in the relationship more than just being attracted to someone? Because in marriage, when you get tired of somebody, you don't just step away and be like, hey, let's, let's take a, like a three-day break. Let's fast from this relationship for 72 hours and see what God reveals. In marriage, you don't get that card. In marriage, you have to move to the other end of the couch. 
and still like feel the glare. I've messed up. I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this. There's no out. And so your goal is to be like, I am going after somebody who I trust can be my best friend. Biblical friendship is the foundation for marriage. She needs to be more than someone that you just enjoy looking at. I'll say it again. Mrs. Wright needs to be somebody more than someone that you just enjoy looking at. Do you consider her your best friend? Next one, Proverbs 13, or 31, 13. She selects wool and flax. You're like, I don't know what those mean. It'll be weird to find somebody like that. She selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and portions for her female servants. Basically, it's saying, is she hardworking? This is someone who should intimidate you. She doesn't need you. She kills it on her own. She serves better than you. She works harder than you. She keeps going until the work is done. And this is kind of one side of this coin because you flip it over and then he keeps going in verse 16. She evaluates a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. She draws on her strength. And some of you are like, I have to buy somebody who makes wine. No, she draws on her strength and reveals that her arms are strong. She sees that her profits are good and her lamp never goes out at night, which means she can afford the oil to continue to keep that thing lit. She extends her hands to the spinning staff, I don't know what that is, and her hands hold the spindle. Not only is she hardworking, she's also independent. Now this is important because this isn't just like a I don't need no man type of attitude. It's not what I'm talking about. You want somebody, guys, by your side who is confident in themselves, loudly proclaiming, my Jesus is enough. Bro, I don't need you. I'm glad you're along for this journey. I'm glad that you can lead me, but I don't necessarily need you. And all of you in the room need to hear this. Being single is still being a whole person. You don't need somebody to complete you. The completion myth, we talked about it last year. If you want to go back and look at the sex and dating series, it is just a myth. Jesus provides all that you need. Like, like, I've never been in a premarital or even just like a dating conversation with somebody like, man, how's it going? John, it's so good. We are so codependent. <laughs> that's not good. He completes me so well. Like, like, that's, when I hear that, that's that red flag. I'm like, hey, take off those glasses. You're not going after somebody who you can be codependent with. In fact, I have found that a good, healthy measure of a relationship is when you start dating them if they keep their friends. Some of you just went, oh, no. When you start dating somebody and you abandon your friendships, then you are saying that I finally found the person that completes me. And, and in that, this is what happens. You abandon those friends and you go after dating this guy for a little while and then he breaks your heart and then you're stuck because you've ticked off all of your friends and you've abandoned them, you don't have that relationship anymore, and now the thing that you thought completed you is now gone, and you're just in the struggle bus. And some of you are like, man, that hurts, because he's preaching to me. You gotta get it out of your mind that this person is going to complete you in some way. God created you for a relationship, and you need other people. You're going to need it even more in marriage because your husband is gonna drive you nuts, and you can't say it to him. And so you're gonna need your friends to go to them and be like, he's driving me crazy. And they're gonna go, yes, mine is too. 
Now, if you continue through Proverbs, you'll understand that in those he's driving me crazy moments, you'll also build him up. You'll also be encouraged by that. There's some language stuff in here that you have to be careful of. But you need your friends. And so a good measure, guys, when you're going after somebody, is she hardworking? Is she independent? When you start dating, does she still keep all of her friends? Does she still like have those boundaries? Like, I'm going to hang out with my friends more than you because they are cooler than you right now. It's just a good measure for you. And you should encourage it, guys, because you're gonna get married one day and you're gonna wanna go play golf or you're gonna wanna go play, like, go, go play poker with your friends or go play disc golf or whatever it may be. You're gonna wanna do those things and you're gonna go, hey, can I? Who am I gonna hang out with? I abandoned all my friends to marry you. You should be like, friends, 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 friends that are inviting you out all of the time. Now, that, that's not like some excuse for you to be like, hey, this is our soft relationship where I go do what I want to. But healthy relationships are surrounded by people. Healthy relationships are ones where people have your back. It is your little army that's running with you, that's helping make your marriage better. You're trusting them because they're chasing after Jesus just as much as you are. And so it's not a codependent relationship. It is marriage, but more so dating in community. And so when you start dating this girl, what is she doing with her friendships? Is she still holding on to them and holding them to high value? It's really important. Is she independent? Verse 20, her hands reach out to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. Does she provide for the needs of other people? I like to say, does she live her life on mission? Is she providing for the needs of other, others? Like in our church, we are surrounded by, thankfully, people that we get to celebrate blessings with and people that we get to walk in times of difficulty with. And the people that I love, my wife being one of those, when, those, when everything hits the fan and you're just like, this is a terribly challenging season for that family, she's like, what's the meal train? John, can you cook barbecue for them? How can we, like, she just assembles the army. And we go to care for those that have a need. She's living her life on mission. Both guys and girls need to have this, but women, often, you're just connected to community better. You're gonna see that in Proverbs 31. Guys are just like working. We're stuck in our bubble. You're like in the, in the circles hearing about everything that's happening. And so when this stuff rises up, are you circling the wagons to make sure that those needs are met? Guys, you can see that. Is she providing for the needs of others? Does she care? Is she living life on mission? And then this last one, and then we'll land this plane, Proverbs 31, 25, and 30. Strength and honor are her clothing. She can laugh at the time to come. Like basically talking about when she gets older. Charm is deceptive, verse 30, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. That's what the CSB says. I think ESV is like, is to be praised, might be praised. I love just like will be praised. Because here's the deal. Outward beauty, that word there is hebel. Those of you that were with us during the Ecclesiastes series know what that is. That is vapor. That means that it is outwardly beautiful, but it does not satisfy because the wind will take it away. It will be blown away, and there's nothing that you can do about it because it is fleeting. And let me tell you the truth. You are probably right now as good looking as you're ever gonna be. <laughs> you've, you've peaked. Guys and girls in the room, you, right about now you've peaked. Now, now some of you will experience, some of you will experience puberty, and it will like, it will go, but you've basically peaked. <laughs> Thank you, Jacob. And this is the way that I like, this, is the, this will be, this may derail the room, I'm sorry. Gravity always wins. All the way to you being in the ground. You understand you're gonna die and be in the ground. Gravity's gonna pull you there. 
gravity always wins. And eventually like stuff on your body is just gonna start falling apart. You are, you are it. You, you have peaked. And you often believe that, you believe this lie from the world that your outward appearance is the most important thing. And this is why. From 1997 until now, plastic surgeries have increased 1,033%. There were 20 million plastic surgeries last year alone. And this is the lie. I need to make my outward look better so that people will love me. If it's more outwardly beautiful, here's the challenge. If it's more outwardly beautiful, if it's more made up, then it will hide what's going on inside. I'm gonna put on the mask so that what's inside that is broken might be fixed by what is outside. The problem is, is that doesn't work. What you need is Jesus because Jesus fills what is empty. He fixes what is broken. Your soul longing, what we sang sang about, your soul longing is built into you that you long for Christ. And are you spending the rest of your life trying to find that thing? Psalm 42, two, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Isaiah 55, two, why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindness of David, not on you, and when you see that only God satisfies, then you'll begin to question, like, why spend my money on things that don't? Why pay attention to the outside more than the inside? Jesus fills your empty spaces. Isaiah 53 says this really clearly in verse five. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. We are healed by his wounds. And that healing is on the inside, not on the outside. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Here's the simple truth. Jesus loves you to death and he died for your inside transformation. This is the the one relationship that you were created to long for. And when you pursue that relationship, then the rest of your relationship stuff comes alive. Your your soul, your soul is not looking for a mate. Your soul is looking for a savior. And trying to satisfy it with a human is difficult because Jesus, when you see Jesus more clearly, then all of the, the outside stuff just fades. Because ladies, hear this. And guys, maybe walk in this. Your value does not come from your looks. Your value comes from the Lord. Your your value isn't what's on the outside. It's the change that happens on the inside. And here's my shot. We're fixing to be done with a fast on Thursday. A lot of you walked in this, and some of you should have given up makeup for your fast. Because you have these insecurities about yourself and about your looks and you cover them up with something that the world offers and your world needs healing in those spaces. And it's a bigger addiction than you know. And guys are like trying to battle to get through it to see your inside and you just keep showing off your outside and so they keep getting distracted. And you need to be pursuing what's inside. Your soul longing is not to attract a mate, it is to see Jesus more clearly. 
guys, you can help. <coughs> Excuse me. Because often, fellas in the room, your focus is on the female characteristics instead of the female character. And you can shift that. And so, so maybe we make this our one simple goal because we get a lot of questions about dating and, and I've never, I've, I try to simplify it, maybe this works. This question, does this person encourage me to be more like Jesus? Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright, let's combine all those things. These are great measures, things that you should be looking forward to. But when you look at this and you combine it into a question, you should just ask that question, does this person encourage me to be more like Jesus? It, in dating, that should be your goal because in marriage, that's going to be your goal. It's what I will walk you through in premarital. What are you doing to help this person look more like Jesus every day? In dating, is that person encouraging you to look more like Jesus? And he, here's the simple thing I wanna challenge you with. The divorce rate right now in America is about 51%. When you zoom in on that, couples that go to church regularly together, they attend church together, that number drops to 26%. I'm still irritated at that, side note. When you zoom in even more, couples that pray together daily, their divorce rate is less than 1%. And so we wanna throw like the grenade into the room about Christians like, eh, 50% of Christians get divorced. No, 50% of faithful Christians, that's not, the, that's not the statistic. If you are faithfully leading your wife and she is encouraging you and you are praying, seeking the Lord together, it drops to less than 1%. This is what you're going to need. And so this is gonna be our response as the band gets ready to come back up here. This is what I need you to hear. You, you don't need a formula. You don't need this. You need more of Jesus. It's pretty simple. You need more of God because some of you in your life as we go through the sex and dating series, you've been praying for a boyfriend and a girlfriend, but I wanna challenge you, how often are you praying for more of God? Would you just reveal yourself more clearly to me? Would you just reveal yourself in a way that I can clearly see you? What if that became your prayer? More of God, and then God makes you more like this type of person as you see him more clearly. God, would you make me the person that you created me to be? And in that, would Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright clearly see it? But, but I want to see you, like pursuing a mate, pursuing a husband or wife, desiring that is not a negative but making sure that you're pursuing the right kind of mate. So as you put yourself up, put your stuff up, let me, let me pray this over you. Because here's my thought as we were preparing. There's, there's a lot of people in this room that come from like jacked up family legacies. And, and you've got it in your brain that, that it's your mission to restore. And I walked in that probably sinfully for a long time. And so in that, like, you, you don't get to change family legacies. You don't get to change family directions. Jesus does that. And so when we, when we talk about last week, we landing the plane that Jesus is better. This week, underneath that umbrella, would you just begin to pray, like, Jesus, would you give me more of you? Would you give me more of you? And then through that, would family legacies be changed? Through that, would broken homes be changed? Through that, would peace rise up instead of, yelling and fighting because some of you are walking in a fear that you're gonna replicate what your parents did. And, and I 100% like understand that. But the solution is not you being a better person and the solution is not finding the right person. The solution is more of Jesus.
because he's the one that restores. He's the one that redeems. He's the one that as you seek him with your heart, not leaning on your own understanding, he makes your paths straight. And that doesn't mean that it's easy. That just means you know where to take your next step. That doesn't mean that he necessarily even carries you. You're still on a path, you're still walking. But in that, as you're thinking about areas that you've messed up dating or areas that your family legacy has destroyed marriage, I think the simple answer to the formula is just like more of Jesus. And so that's where we're gonna land tonight. Your standard in, in dating and in your relationships is, is this person that I've invited into my life, does he encourage me, does she encourage me to look more like Jesus or not? And are you that type of person? Are you running after Jesus? So much so that people just follow you naturally. But God, we, we trust you to do that tonight. Like I recognize it's already been prayed from the stage that there is, there is a brokenness that sits on people. They have been wronged or they have wronged others. When we talk about self-control and, and drunkenness and lust rise up and uh, we recognize that that is a difficult thing for many in this room. And so, so would you by your spirit bring freedom? Would we recognize that's not a battle we win by ourselves? It's not a battle we win by keeping it in dark places. That's a battle that's won when we turn on lights. And so would you give us a boldness to surround ourselves with people to, to lean into that? Would you give us a boldness to, to fight for self-control in our lives? Would you give a, men in this room a boldness to lead and it starts with themselves and allowing you to destroy the tiny little satisfaction idols that we've built? Would you give the women in the room the, the boldness to recognize that you have made them beautifully and wonderfully on the inside? And you're restoring that daily and they don't need to polish that up. Would you restore the broken places in their lives that make them think that that is the thing that's gonna get them love in some way? Not in the middle of all that, we're not saying that dating is bad and marriage is bad. No, you've made them incredibly beautiful and a beautiful reflection of the gospel and so may we raise our standards there. So by your spirit, would you bring healing would you bring boldness for us to take those next steps? And would we be people, a room full of men and women that fight for the right type of relationship so that we can reflect that to the world because it's worth it. And we trust you to do that by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we sing.